This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 229. I have the wonderful Jarvis Smith from the UK on the show with me today, kicking off our next series. So moving, we started with uh, personal health topics, then uh, improving the strength of our minds, and now we're moving into planet care and looking at various ways People, thought leaders, business owners are improving uh, the planet through the work they do, but also always coming back to what we can do each and every day at home. Uh, So I really know you're going to love this series. I absolutely adored talking to Jarvis. I felt like I wanted to pour another cuppa and keep going, frankly. Um, But to tell you a little bit about uh, Jarvis, he he is a a well-lived character Uh, And two worlds kind of collide with dynamic effect. On one hand, he's a proud hippie, a mystic, studied uh, shamanic work for 14 years uh, and trained uh, with a shaman. Uh, He's a self-confessed tree hugger, eco-warrior, but he's also a thought leader, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a renowned online businessman. And part of today's show is actually talking about the reckoning of two sides of the self. And a lot of us have that. So I think you'll really enjoy exploring it in someone else and it'll give pause for reflection in perhaps your own life. I know it has for me uh, because I very much have uh, different compartments that collide on a regular basis within myself. And I think we all have that. Um, but uh, what, what did I want to tell you about him? It's one of the things that I'm really fascinated about that really drove home for him that his life's work was going to be on improving the health of people and planet was that he was actually asked to be on the cast of a reality TV show uh, on Channel 4 in the UK called Dumped. Now, these guys had, it was shot on location on a Croydon landfill And the experience of filming this show and having to live on a landfill and live with the constant visual reminder of lifestyle waste and the constant visual reminder of how many food scraps were going into landfill when they should be used as a resource and composted, Um, to just see that every single day uh, and smell that and feel that uh, really impacted him. And he tells the story in more detail on the show. Uh, And I always find these moments that people have in their lives that really ramp up the fire in their belly to go on and do what they then do uh, is fascinating. Um, He then went on to publish uh, his first magazine, Green, with National Geographic, no less. That was in 2008. Uh, That moved to The Guardian in 2010. Um, And he evolved it into My Green Pod magazine from 2013. And today I would love to actually invite you to subscribe to that magazine. It's a quarterly online mag, so you could be anywhere in the world listening to this 
and jump on and subscribe for free. Uh, mygreenpod.com forward slash subscribe and all the details will be there. I've got that in the show notes for you as well. So I'm going to hook into that chat in just a little minute, but before I do, I wanted to uh, invite you to hear a little bit about this month's major show supporter, uh, and that is Republica Organic. And uh, Republica Organic was founded by Jacqueline Arias uh, in back in <laughs> like a long time ago. There's all these trendy, funky, organic uh, fair trade coffees since. Uh, but Jacqueline, who went on a trip to her home country, uh, Colombia, in 2005, she went with her husband and two kids. Uh, and, uh, you know, she knew that some of the best coffee in the world was grown there. She was really excited to show them her childhood hometown. Uh, yet during the holiday, she was really confused because. As a part Aussie, she had become very accustomed to incredible tasting coffee, but noticed while they were in Colombia, where a lot of our coffee comes from, the coffee was awful. And she investigated a little and had found that uh, kind of like with Bolivia and quinoa, when the quinoa craze took off and all of a sudden the Bolivians could no longer afford their staple food and ended up having to eat cheap processed uh, white bread, um, the same sort of thing was happening to the Colombian coffee farmers. So they were having to send all of their coffee off. They weren't getting paid a fair price. They weren't being treated fairly. And uh, this all kind of um, culminated, I guess, in Jacqueline thinking, I, I have to do something about this. She came home. She promptly re resigned from being a journalist at the ABC for 10 years and set out to create an ethical coffee company uh, that ensured third world and developing country coffee farmers were guaranteed a fair deal while not compromising on taste. And that's how Republica Organic was born. Now, I don't have discounts and special offers. It's more to highlight that uh, if you do shop at a supermarket like Coles or Woolies for a few low-tox things, I, I actually do. I still buy my uh, Cobram olive oil there. I buy my EcoStore dishwashing powder. Uh, I am coconut milk, you know, the Republic of Coffee. There's a, a small select thing, few things I get from there. And I feel like that just says these products matter. And so it is actually quite a nice thing to do to just buy a handful of organic or um, low-tox things from your supermarket, I think. Um, that could be controversial to many. I know a lot of people would disagree, but um, but that's what I, I believe. And so if you do find uh, brands, especially small business brands that are in supermarkets, um, uh, then that's absolutely fine to f support them, right? Uh, and Republic Organic has different parts of their range in different uh, supermarkets. So you'll kind of get to know that. Um, but uh, what can I tell you? So Coles has the awesome instant. And if you haven't, I mean, uh, awesome and instant are very rarely used in the same sentence for coffee, but the instant decaf, if you just, if you know, you prefer a decaf uh, as I do, um, for the most part, if I'm drinking coffee, uh, otherwise I get too much of the jitters if I have more than one or two coffees a week, I have to say. Um, but the instant decaf in uh, a little, uh, you know, in your camper van or the desk in wor uh, at work, it's a really good decaf. It's crazy. And it is, 
like it kind of has guru cult status out there. People just can't believe it's an instant. Uh, they've done an incredible job with it. Um, so you can get that in Coles uh, and you can also get the pods in 20 packs um, and they have the Paris, Sydney, Melbourne and now decaf as well um, because they were asked so often for them. So they've now produced them. Uh, at Woolies, you can get the organic team or ground. That's one of their most loved, most popular blends uh, or the organic signature espresso beans. So what's great about this brand uh, is that whether you're a bean person who likes to grind fresh at home or whether you like the already ground for your French press or whether you like the instant or whether you have the pods, they're completely biodegradable, biodegraded in about the same time as an orange peel. So definitely the more sustainable of the organic pod options. Uh, if you can't quite pry the pod machine from your, your hands, uh, you know, you have something for everyone there in that range. At Costco, you can actually get the Melbourne Laneway Ristretto beans as well. So uh, for our US listeners, you too can buy Republica these days. Uh, we rain, They range a few of the items over on uh, Amazon. And uh, you also have the decaf leading the way there as well. So if you don't believe me that an instant decaf can taste amazing and you're a decaf drinker, give it a go. Uh, But I have a really awesome announcement on a giveaway for you uh, for Republica. And that is that two lucky winners, and you have two weeks to enter from today, Uh, This podcast is being published uh, 5th of May, uh, sorry, 5th of April. So you have two weeks from the 5th of April to enter. And all you have to do is pop a comment uh, either in the show notes, in the comment section of the show notes or on Facebook when you see it there or on Instagram. And you will be able to hop over to the Republica website and choose $200 worth of whatever mix a product you want from the range, which is great. You don't win a hamper and you think, oh gosh, you know, what am I going to do with half of the things? I I don't use them. Um, You get to select your year's worth of coffee, uh, however you like to drink it. Um, So thank you so much to Republica for being our show supporter this month. Uh, Thank you also to My Green Pod for your shout out for your awesome quarterly magazine. Please do head and subscribe to that mygreenpod.com forward slash subscribe and Republica Organics giveaway. Make sure you jump onto the show notes and pop your comment as to why you would like to win a year's worth of coffee. So those are all the little bits of information I had to share with you before going live with today's show. I know you're going to enjoy this. I can't wait to hear how, um, what came up for you in having a listen to uh, me and Jarvis have a chat today. It's one of my favorite conversations. Enjoy, guys. Hello, Jarvis. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I am super duper. Morning for me, hot chocolate and bedtime for you. And here we are (laughs) talking about changing the world. I love it. Um, I love to start by asking, uh, especially pioneers and people who've done a lot in the eco space, environmentalism work, etc. What was your childhood like? Are you hippie born and bred or... Were you like a born, are you a born again eco warrior, so to speak? Yeah, interesting. A bit of both. I, I lived uh, you know, kind of multi personalities as a child. So um, my my mum got kind of kicked out of her family for have for being pregnant 
with me and my dad's Indian right so it was a bit of a it was a yeah she was a bit of a kind of dark um you know it was a bit of a dark time for her right so I was born into an environment where my mum had got kicked out she had hardly any money and she had to kind of you know really scrimp and scrape in order to just keep things going so my childhood in the very early part of it was was you know I was, I was brought up by a a West Indian um, Caribbean stepfather, right? So my whole childhood, I spoke, you know, Patwa. I was around West Indians, Jamaicans, Antiguans, Bajans. I used to go to gospel church on a Sunday. I mean, it was really quite bizarre. And um, and then, uh, you know, there was a time when my mum we rekindled a rekindled a relationship with her mum. And then I started to spend more time with, you know, the, the, the grandparents or certainly my grandmother. And she lived right out in the country. So whenever I'd go out to the country, I'd just go on these long nature walks, just be out all day kind of on my own. And that's where I really started to appreciate my connection with nature. But it didn't really, you know, as a child, you don't really notice it. You just kind of get on with these things. So I think there was a, there was a parallel connection for me with nature, i.e. a bit hippie. But there was also this really incredible, um, rich culture, diverse culture upbringing that I had as well. So I'm actually, my real dad's Indian. My stepfather was West Indian. My mum's English. So I had this real kind of rich diversity going on. And because my mum was so, um, had to work so much, I used to stay at the vicarage. So so it was like the local vicar and his family, they used to, I used to go there after school. And um, and they'd often, you know, look after me midweek. And so, you know, I had just this this really unusual um, amount of different personality types going on and characters going on in my Gosh, childhood. I, I did I know, too, it's, it's, Jarvis. It's really interesting. My mum's French Mauritian, dad's British. Yeah. I was born in London, yeah. but then we spent the early part of our my childhood as an only child at that point in Chicago. And then moved to Sydney where my sister was born, but she was very sick for the first part of her first year of her life. And so I'd spend a lot of time with our close, uh, closest friends at the time in Sydney, who had just arrived, which was a Chinese lady uh, and our neighbour who was Japanese. And so I, and in Mauritius, I hung out with all the, the Creole gardeners boys. And so I was like this little tomboy speaking Creole in Mauritius and everyone was like, oh, she's, you know, um, it's bizarre. And so I love that when I meet other people who've had these bizarre melting pots because it quite often means we go on to do all sorts of random things, drawing on all these different inspirations that we've had in our early years. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel comfortable with, you know, um, the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich and 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 everything in between, and that's a... You know that my my you know Katie, my wife, she tells me that's you know a real um, an unusual skill or way of being, um, and she'd never recognised it in somebody before. And for me, it's just the norm, as you would appreciate. Yeah, it you been just don't get you. pigeonholed. No, absolutely mm. not. Mm, fabulous. And so, when do you think you started to feel that uh, the planet was something you wanted to actively engage in doing a better job of supporting and handing down to the next generation? Was it, you know, there must have been some hints along the way that started to make it more obvious for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the hints, when I look back at my childhood, when I was, I guess, between the age of 
mm, kind of five to maybe kind of 11, 12, before you start, I started getting into girls and things, because things obviously change massively when you, when that happens. But <laughs> um, I, yeah, I always had a sensitivity and a gentleness. And I think like most people, we always think we're a bit different from everybody else. I mean, you know, where, where do we fit in kind of thing? But I was an only child. I did have this kind of really quite dysfunctional upbringing with, with just so many different things going on. And so I, I used to retreat either into myself or into, I guess, into nature now, looking back with hindsight, but just kind of into myself, but always felt like I had a bunch of mates around me, <laughs> which sounds, and they weren't, and they weren't physical friends. I just always felt supported. And, you know, I now know that kind of connection and that, that, that feeling of, um, companionship to be kind of you know a team I call them a team like an incarnate team whether you call them angels or you know ancestors or guides or whatever it might be so you know I'm, I'm very deeply spiritual but I think as a child I remember that deep sensitivity and then what happened is is that I went off the rails as most people do I, you know I got into drink and drugs and all that kind of stuff as a as a teenager and beyond and, and I got so kind of out of you know out of it if you like and my body really started to react in a way that you know I was getting sick I needed to do something I needed to to to, to respond because my body was just saying I've had enough and so one of my friends one night was telling me about this thing called Reiki which is like this kind of universal energy and I was like wow that sounds amazing so I went to see this Reiki master right and then two or three sessions and then on the third session he, he gave to me I had this like really intense feeling of ecstasy or euphoria or just this absolute bliss feeling. And, I, and it opened the door for me and it was, it, was, it was incredible. And then after that experience had happened, I made it my commitment to try and find and educate myself about that more. So actually, before I reconnected with sustainability and what we now know as you know, the climate um, issue, I connected more with a spiritual path and that spiritual path led me to begin to listen deeply. And as I began to listen deeply, I began to hear messages from nature. And as I began to get these messages from nature, I began to respond. And so that was kind of, it was a quite a long process of awakening, um, but definitely came through spirituality and, you know, a kind of, I trained with a shaman for 14 years before I got into business. Wow. Um, what was that female, like? Oh my God, it was amazing. I mean, it was, it, it, firstly, she was female. And most people think about shamans being, you know, kind of this ayahuascan, you know, South American type experience. Actually, that's not the case. Shaman simply means the wise person of the village that communicates with, with plants and medicines and things, right? So, um, gosh, what was it like? It was incredibly intense, but I was a very, very committed student. Um, so, you know, I used to practice yoga with uh, my teacher um, to begin with, you know, every week, if not twice a week, we'd go on two or three uh, pilgrimage type retreats um, a year. Um, and, you know, she literally became my guru. And gosh, what it was like, I mean, you know, looking back now, it was it was it was a challenge. I mean, you know, to study anything for 14 years, you know, if you were in, in an academic scenario you'd be a doctor or a professional or you know you'd be really at the top of your game so I now realize now I am actually quite at the top of my game in that kind of 
um, training, which was the sacred arts. It was yoga. It was it was energy work. It was, you know, and now I actually I do quite a lot of that work within my working environment. So that's what I think gives me this strong compassion and connection and understanding with nature. Mm. Fascinating. And how do you uh, balance the much more angular and intense uh, goal-driven, money-driven, revenue-raising, you know, all that kind of stuff of business with that part of yourself? Was it something that came easy to you or was it something that naturally over a bit of trial and error everything found its place? Because you've gone on <laughs> to be very entrepreneurial. Yeah, no, I have, absolutely. But I will tell you this, that, that, that you know, my principles and our company's principles are in this order, uh, planet, people, purpose, profit. And now I don't even spell profit in the monetary way. I, 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 I spell it in the prophecy way. So, so it's like, you know, money is probably the least important aspect of what we need if we are going to deal with, you know, this most important issue of humanity's time, the climate change, which we now know to be climate chaos. Because, so how did I manage that? I mean, I've, I guess I've been, I've never really needed much, um, although now I seem to have quite a lot, um, but it's never been my drive to go, oh, you know, make loads of money so I can own loads of stuff. It's more about, I, want, I need to make as much money as I can so that I can put that money back into my purpose with our values. Um, so it's, it's, it's been that, it's been a focus. And I'm, I, you know, I'm very lucky and perhaps some might say gifted that I'm a really, really good salesperson. That's like one of my natural abilities and gifts. And that's how I've survived since I left school. And now I feel like I'm selling a, a vision, a way of life um, for, for her, <laughs> for, for, for the universe for humanity so it's like I'm using my skill which is I'm really good at sales and talking for my purpose which is trying to inspire people to wake up to the issues around the climate crisis and help people you know live differently and 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 that agrees with you know doing that work agrees with all of my values which are you know, to create a better place for my children. And by default, that's all the children on the planet. <laughs> exactly. So true. That's, yeah. I, well, I'm literally in the middle of writing my book inscription at the moment for my next book. And the first book I made out to my son and uh, this one, I just want like literally all the creatures that follow us uh, after we're gone to be the, the beneficiaries, the intent, um, the intended receivers of my book. Um, How because, lovely. You know, it's just like that's we are parents of a planet, not just of the kids that we produce. It's anyone who is older it has that responsibility ultimately. Yeah. That is how yeah, it's, it's always been in every Indigenous yeah. culture. And yeah. yet we don't honour that today. We don't honour that responsibility very well for the main. No, you're absolutely right. And, I, you know, we'll get onto the Indigenous ways in, in, in a minute because I, I, I really, I really honour those principles. But... We are doing exactly the same thing with our business. Our, our, our business model is that we want to create or we will not want to, we will create and are in the beginning of creating a steward owned, a steward ownership model so that when we go, the business will continue with its values and with its purpose for, you know, for the future generations. 
So we're not creating our business so that we can sell it to make loads of money to pass this money down to our, through our family line. We're, we're building it so that people can be part of an ecosystem that mimics um, the same kind of ecosystem that nature does, which is inclusive of everything. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's what we're doing with our that's what we're doing with our business model, with our marketplace. And can I ask you, Jarvis, because a lot of people who found businesses in the eco space or want to or feel like uh, they want to do that work, quite often if you've been raised to care for the environment, um, you've often been raised to hate people with money or, you know, uh, like richness because that means they're bad people uh you know like you know what i'm yeah, saying there's very much that undercurrent of belief as you yeah. grow up and you do things for the cause kind of like creatives do things for the love instead of you know expecting money to perform did you have any reckonings with money in your own uh money story and relationship to money were there i mean i could imagine moving from shamanic work to entrepreneurialism it wouldn't have been entirely smooth right you would have had to do some thinking. No, no, I, I did. I did. Absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely went through that phase of money is dirty and, you know, it's it's it, it funds, you know, the horrible things that we experience in our in our world, you know, the wars and the, the corruption and the, I mean, all of this stuff. But actually, I now understand money. Yes, it's a band made concept, but I now understand it as energy. Right. And um I think the awful situation about money is, and we're seeing this very clearly now, is that there is there is a, there is a you know a, an amount of money on the planet, and there is a small percentage of people that control the majority of that wealth. Right? That that's I think is really awful. So so my agenda now with money is is that I want to make as much as we possibly can as an organisation, and absolutely ensure that the profits go back into restoring and regenerating our planet. Now, profit, profit for regeneration and restoration is really powerful. Profit for just profit's sake is just ridiculous. You know, Jeff Bezos' bank account, for example, or, you know, whatever it might be. So, so, so I think what I've done is I've really come to terms with that, okay, if I'm going to play this leadership role, if I'm going to continue to be a pioneer, which we are in the UK, um, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna actually deal with probably one of the most dysfunctional um, systems in our world, which is economics and 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 you know the retail, the consumption that has to fund the cycle of economics is just completely messed up. So if we can get the eco into economics. And that essentially, that still needs to provide capitalism. It still needs to provide funding. But that money can be used in much more elegant, beautiful, restorative, um, regenerative ways, right? So that's what that that's where I'm at now with money. But the but the past, um, yes, I've definitely been through that spiral of of darkness um, that most people have. And luckily, I've come out the other end with a quite a, a light understanding of it nice because at the end of the day that was all we knew and it did look evil you know you think oh it's the big oil magnates or the tech magnates or you know and then they control everything and then but 
if we change who is making a lot of the money, then we can actually exactly. change the world. Yeah, uh, exactly. So very positive stuff. So somebody said an amazing thing to me about money once, and I use this now when I'm talking to other people, if I'm, you know, counselling or, or acting as a mentor. And um, it's very simply this, that a bit like when you drink too much alcohol, it, it accentuates your personality. So if you're shit, it just makes you more of a shit. And if you're, if you're a lovely, kind, philanthropic person, the more money you get, you just become kinder and more generous and more philanthropic. And, and actually, I hadn't realized that, but it was a billionaire that told me that. And it's like, oh, my God, yeah, I get it. And, that, that, and it's so true now because I, I probably, you know, there's probably 20 people in my address book that are millionaires or multimillionaires that are good friends. And they're all amazingly gorgeous, beautiful, generous people. None of them are shits. So I think, <laughs> I think this, I think the, the, the people that, that tend to be really ego driven and power driven and in the limelight and want are hungry for fame and they're rich, they're, they're the examples of which people that we get. We don't tend to get the examples of the wealthy that just kind of don't really care about being known. Mm, they just exactly. get on with cool stuff. They get on so, with so doing a, cool stuff. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's a bit like leadership, isn't it? We've got it all is. these kind of leaders that are just not really serving anything but themselves. And in most cases, but actually there's some amazing leaders, but they just don't want to be on the, you know, on the big stage. Mm, on the nightly news. Yeah. Exactly. So money in the right hands, money in the hands of kind and generous people just means more good done in the world. I love that. Um, now, <laughs> nice. the, the next thing I want to talk about is your publishing career, because you've actually had a huge amount of uh, experience in that field and in the field of raising people's awareness to the issues of what the what our planet needs to do better um, through magazines and publishing and actually your first partnership was National Geographic just a, a small <laughs> partner there that you you started with can you tell me how it came up but did, were you one of those people who would write for a community newspaper and then you really wanted to get into publishing or was it uh, um, something else that motivated that? Yeah, I mean, it's not quite true that National Geographic was the first one. There was one before that. So, so um, I was invited onto a TV show back in 2006 by some TV researchers and it was to, we had to go and live on a landfill. And at the time, um, obviously that gave me a massive wake up call, which we could talk about. But at the time I was working for publishers after the TV show, because it had a, such a huge impact on me. I said to the, the publishers that I wanted to set up my own um, version, if you like, of an ethical lifestyle magazine. And, and we quickly researched and there wasn't really anything out there like it. So, th so the publishers thought it was a good idea. And um, but they didn't want to put any resources to it. So I said, well, I'll do it, but I want a 30% profit share with you. So I negotiated this kind of package. Um, in about three months, I'd created uh, probably about 150,000 pounds worth of advertising revenue because I had a profile because I'd you know, just been onto this TV show. So I was ringing people up saying, just done this thing with Channel 4. It's had a huge impact on me. We really need to be talking about this issue. Will you get involved and will you spend some money with it? So they did. So my background was not so much on the writing side. In fact, my wife, Katie, is the brilliant writer. Mine was more about creating the type of opportunity through, through print media with, with brands. So creating, I guess, a slightly more creative advertising opportunities. 
but we actually did it more in a in a content way um, kind of ad advertorial I suppose is what you how you would term it um, so I did that and then the, the company saw this as being uh, suddenly saw this as being a lucrative um, uh, opportunity so they tried to kind of re renegotiate my contract and I just said look absolutely not I've done all the work if you don't like it I'm gonna take it somewhere else and so I thought to myself okay who's the biggest you know um, media company in the world and at the time really it was National Geographic or the BBC they were probably the two biggest and so I called up National Geographic and said look I've just done this um, this magazine this is why this is the reason what do you think and they loved it and within a few months I had a contract with them and we launched or I launched the world's with them the world's biggest ethical lifestyle magazine ever I mean it literally made history it was the first time National Geographic had ever ever editorially produced a magazine in the UK so that was kind of making history as well and um and it was all very much of the back of this TV show, which gave me ultimate purpose that, that, that still resonates with me today. So tell me what it felt like um, to live on a landfill. I can't even imagine. <laughs> how, how did it come about? Was it a call out for people to do a TV show or did you know yeah, someone in there? Well, no, the researchers knew me from another TV show that I'd done where we tried to raise some money for my music project. Um, mm -hmm. Gosh, that's another story we could go into, but I won't now. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and the researchers just really liked me and they just thought I was just an interesting character. I mean, I was a real tree hugging hippie at that point, a musician, you know, um, just got signed my first single, you know, to a record label, but was really into kind of sustainability and stuff as well, but didn't really understand even what sustainability was at that point. So they thought I'd be an interesting character and it was Channel 4, which is a huge, you know, big network over here. Um, and it was a classic TV show. They had the model, you know, the gay guy, the black guy, the me, the hippie, you know, it's really stereotypical, right? But actually, um, we made a commitment collectively. Um, there were 10 of us that went on to the show. I was the only one that was handpicked. Everybody else applied through advertising. So... It was like the universe was calling me to, to do something. And I, I really believe in that. I really follow my heart when it feels right. And I've had loads of those experiences before and since. So what was it like? I mean, the first three nights, it, it was so disgustingly smelly that we couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I mean, it was just rancid and horrible. But then after that, it, you know, I mean, there were rats everywhere and foxes at night and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, but after that, it, it became our home. We started bonding with each other. And there was nothing there. I mean, we had to build somewhere to sleep, somewhere to shower, somewhere to shit, somewhere to cook. You know, it was literally building your, your environment from other people's, what they would describe as waste. The point to the show was, is there is no away. You think you're throwing something away. There is no way. Right? We all know this stuff now. But back in 2006, it was quite a radical thing. But for me... I just, you know, with I think two years prior to that, there was the New Orleans disaster. There was the tsunami that had happened. You know, I was really aware of these climatic incidences that had caused massive upheaval and deaths. Right. So so I embraced this experience on a basis. Uh, and many of us did on the basis that it could happen to us at any time because it had happened to other people in other parts of the world. 
so 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 it became a, a really kind of experiential um way of living and you know if you imagine it the, the producers were our gods they were the people that had to make you know our decisions for us we kind of literally signed away our our lives if you like to these tv producers um but there was one moment and this is this is significant because this is what inspired me to do everything that i do today and will do until i die right on the third week after we built everything and we you know we were living quite comfortably on this rubbish dump on the third week, the local trash uh, lorry, the local dustbin lorry, went round to collect the waste as it does every week on every uh, every street, and it came and dumped it on our site. And uh, firstly, it was disgusting. We had to dress up in this kind of COVID-type gear with masks and gloves and overalls and you know really kind of protective clothing. And the objective of this was we had to siphon through what these people had thrown away from the local streets, and 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 put put it into three boxes. There was a there was a recycle box, there was, um, a, I think, a glass one or compost, actually, and then just a normal, just a normal landfill one. So we had to siphon through this stuff and decide where it needed to go. So could plastic be recycled at the time? No. Anyway, so it went on. After about 20 minutes, literally 20 minutes, I started to feel really, really sick, like, like the worst hangover after your 18th birthday or something like that. It was just really bad. So I said to the camera, I've got to stop. I feel sick. I can't do this anymore. You know, it's really making me ill. Now, because of my shamanic training, I knew how to release energy and replace it, like, like doing a personal cleanse, because I'd been taught in those principles. So I laid on the earth with my back to the earth, and I started to release this toxic energy that I felt, right? Release, release, release. And then what I then do, part of my practice, is draw energy, if you like, revitalizing energy up from the earth, replenish my energy field, and then I feel better. So as I drew this energy back up, I got this like bolt of lightning like type feeling, and I heard this voice, and I still hear it to this day. How you are feeling now is what you are doing to me. I'm sick, and I need your help to tell people that I'm sick. And it was like, oh, my God, it was an absolute wake up call. And so that, that moment there, it gave me um, an understanding of the damage that we were doing to our planet, that she, if, if you believe that Gaia, you know, the Earth is a living being, which I absolutely do. She is sick and needed, 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 you know, people to get spread the message that we needed to, to help heal her. And so that's when I made a commitment to camera that I would dedicate not only my personal life, but all my business life to inspiring um, and educating people about the damage that we were doing to the planet through the way that we consume. And, you know, I went on to launch, you know, within a, a year and a half of that, or two years, I went on to launch the world's biggest ethical lifestyle magazine, not because I'm brilliant, just because I had purpose and drive and help. Mm. Yeah, so powerful. So powerful. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, and the way we've decided to help so far is quite reductionist and black and white and everyone's fighting each other about the right way to help. And we're not looking big picture enough. I've been researching food, for example, for the last three years now, and everyone's fighting about what produce we should eat. But that's kind of where oil, gas and big food tech want us to keep fighting because actually we just need to look at how we should farm better and build healthy ecosystems. Then everyone can eat the way they want, whatever produce you like. But we're actually building health back in from the ground up 
thanks to the top down, the beautiful sun. And, um, and uh, it's, it's like, as you were lying there saying, I need help, I started to think about our medical model. And like so many things went through my head. And I was thinking, God, we compartmentalize all the systems, you go see that person to fix that thing, but we don't look holistically enough. Um, and, uh, and I'm very excited when I get to have conversations with people who are the biggest of big picture thinkers, because that's, that's what we need. There's space for everyone when we think big picture. There's room there for is. everyone to feel like we can make a difference. And um, Yeah, well, it's fully inclusive. I yeah. mean, my mantra is, and it's not my mantra, it was given to me by a very dear friend. You know, if you're working on something, it, you know, is it, in, is it fully in service to all things for all time? There, there is only one purpose. That, that's it. Is it in service to all things for all time? Or is it good for all things for all time? It's like... You know, and everybody's re trying to redefine purpose and redefine their businesses. And the problem is, and it's a huge issue, and you absolutely get it, nobody's including nature at the level of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's listening to nature. And we, you know, some of us are gifted enough to have that communicate, that level of communication. The indigenous, you know, the, the, you know, the indigenous tribes that still walk the earth and actually, you know, the indigenous part within us all, because we're all indigenous, we've just lost our connection, right? But the memory is still there. And so I do believe this time, uh, the climate crisis um, is actually an opportunity. Uh, I think the planet's giving us an opportunity to reconnect with her, reconnect with each other, become unified, and, and move more into a restorative golden type age, a new paradigm. Um, and that will actually, we will evolve then as probably not just a species, but as a, as a, as a universe. I think the whole thing will evolve. And that's a bit, you know, you can look back at history like where the way the Mayans evolved in, 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 you know, we don't know the facts, but I definitely get a sense of the collective consciousness evolving in that way. And I just feel that climate chaos is actually, that's what it's, that's what the invitation is. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it, it's really tough when you see around the world, you know, just the constant fighting in the Middle East, for example. I think imagine, I sometimes just like imagine everyone putting down their guns. Yeah. And regenerating the earth instead, like yeah. a much more noble cause. Because yeah. people get to the place where they need the guns because they're so desperate and they don't have anything left in their lives to feel Absolutely. connected to either each other or the earth anymore. Yeah. It's um, so desperate true. people do desperate things, right? And they, so they do. if we use this invitation wisely, we reconnect to each other and the earth. It is, it is an invitation towards a golden age. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, you know, even in even in some of the most ancient scriptures, I'm not religious at all, but you look at the Bible and it talks about heaven on earth and, you know, it's all there. We've just made a complete mess of it. And um, maybe that was all part of the journey. Maybe that, maybe that was all part of the game for us so that we can actually, you know, come out the other side and go, whoo, that was mm. a lesson. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's that whole, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And we really yeah. need to teeter on the edge of what that might look like before. Absolutely. I mean, humans yeah. are so apocalyptic, aren't we? We wait until oh, you have the heart attack before you change the lifestyle and, or, you know, yeah, all that exactly. kind of stuff. 
exactly and you get that and it's really lovely because i i do believe we've just had the grand shamanic awakening like this pandemic has definitely been an opportunity for people to firstly stop then reflect i mean you know you're not even allowed out your house most of the time so you've got to mm. be kind of oh, be with your UK. family mm. well, especially in the uk yeah and so um it's a huge shamanic awakening i mean if you look at you look back at all the kind of ancient sacred scripts scriptures and uh, and and writings you know, this is what happens this is how we evolve as as individuals and as as a species so it's it's just happening on a mass scale i, I never thought i'd see this in my lifetime i really didn't mm, um, i know it's hard to imagine until until it's here um given we've sort of gone into the pandemic um there are very different currents of belief as to how this should be dealt with, what we should do, if it's even that bad. Uh, but then, of course, you have your essential workers who go, oh, yes, it is, trust us, we're here on the ground. You know, there's so much conflict at the moment. Um, given you have uh, your 14 wonderful years of shamanic training and beyond, do you have any soothing words for us to find overlap again, to find connectedness even in a space where there's so much conflict? And it's mainly verbal conflict. It's mainly arguing. But uh, arguing doesn't lead anywhere good. If it's yeah, it's very, it's, very, it's very mind. The narrative is very mind-led, isn't it? It's very, very mind-led, which is really the human condition, which is a bit buggered. But I do, I do. And it, I, I, thank you for asking that question, because to me, it's really important. And I really appreciate you recognising that. So when, when in England, when, when the first kind of crisis happened around the pandemic, a lot of people started getting sick. My neighbour but one got sick when I used to live down south. And um, she completely shut herself off. She was totally fear, in fear. She got sick. So I tuned into her because I have the ability to just tap into energies, into the field, you know, and just, just feel what's going on. So I tuned into her and um, I was just very clearly told this, this virus is giving humans an opportunity to feel fear. And if we can... Uh, if we can come to terms with the fear and if you like create an evolution through the fear so kind of accept that you know what, what's the worst thing that can happen you're gonna die right that that's it i mean yes you might get sick and it might be awful but the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to die so the virus really was an opportunity for humanity to experience fear collectively and for us to evolve through that and 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 that that for me was the gift that we were being offered. Now, what what you tend to see is the people that actually I don't know if this I don't know if there's been any research done on this, but it does feel the case that most people that are more worried about it, more stressed about it, um, already have an underlying illness, which essentially is probably related to stress and fear anyway. If you really look yes. at the homeopathic, you know. Yeah, I um, always say stress will kill us faster than any environmental toxin or infection usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it could be down to lots of, you know, lots of um, material things, you know, bad diet, you know, eating the wrong foods or water pollution. There's all of that. But I think that we are superhuman beings and we've forgotten the gifts that we are. And I do believe that we can overcome and override anything, actually any illness, any, any, any dysfunctionality in the being, if you can eliminate the fear. 
And there were loads of proof. There were loads of proven cases of this, of, of, of you know, mir- miraculous healings. There are. Um, yeah, there and, really are. And it, I do believe it's simply that, that if you're not scared of it, then you, you overpower whatever it might be, or it becomes a part of you. And the virus could simply, simply become a part of us, but we're not scared of it anymore, so it can't have any reaction. Interesting. I, I don't have it. Ex- well, I think I may have had coronavirus early last year. I felt absolutely awful um, and, uh, and had a couple of scary symptoms there for a couple of weeks, but um, got better. But I have had mould illness, so I've lived in a water-damaged building for a long period of time. And what that does to your nervous system, immune system, I'm going through the journey now with a wonderful Brit, actually, Ashok Gupta, doing his program to uh, rewire the central nervous system. Because when you've had intensely uh, impactful trauma, any kind of trauma, mine was medical, um, uh, your nervous system starts to think that it needs to act on high alert for you all the time, even if there is no danger. And so I could just walk through a department store that might have a tiny bit of a mold kind of issue in its aircon or whatever, and literally just be in there for five minutes and pop back out the street. But my nervous system will just bring out all the fire trucks and I'll start twitching, tremoring, get a heartbeat, um, ectopic heartbeats, palpitations, uh, and uh, start to get foggy in the brain. And there's really no danger. Like the body can handle the odd assault. Um, it's more the constant assault, which was the orig- origin for the trauma in the first place that it, I had to get out of, obviously. But um, it fascinates me how um, sometimes the fear is not even ours. It is a deep trauma um, that imprints itself on our nervous system and then our nervous system riles up on our behalf. Um, and, uh, and given the impact of a virus like this one on the nervous system, I'm actually quite interested in that aspect of fear. So it's interesting that you brought that up. But what I also find interesting is the people who are countering the people who are fearful of the actual virus itself are just as fearful, but they're fearful of something else. They're fearful of the supposed freedom being taken away. And that terrifies those people. And that's why they're acting that way. And I'm neither person. I'm always somewhere in the middle. I'm a bit of a gray area person myself. Um, But I find it really interesting that you've said fear, because that's actually something we can inspect within ourselves, all of us, regardless of our stance or take on this thing. Um, and uh, I know it's something I feel called to examine constantly. Where is it showing up for me? You know, what do I need to address? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Wow. And I, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of controversy and there's a lot of conspiracy theories. And, you know, it, 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 as far as I can see, it is all fear-led. You know, you're, you're scared of whatever the, whatever the storyline is, you know, being microchipped with the injections and We're they're trying to control us. and well, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. If you are operating at that level, you are simply fuel. You're fueling the the very thing that is causing the fear, <laughs> and you're giving it more attention. So energy flows where attention goes, right? And or, or yeah. So anyway, what I try and do is I just try and clear because of the shamanic training that I've had. Um, I just try and clear my energy. I raise my vibration to a frequency of of love and of, you know, of, of, of miracles and of compassion and peace and, you know, all of these kind of 
beautiful um, ways of being. And I just release all the lower vibrations, the anxiety, the fear, the illness, the toxicity, anything I've taken on from anybody else, I just release. So if you think about us as, as an energetic beings, which science has now proven that we are, then anything is possible, right? Thank you for going down that tangent with me. I'm sure um, I felt quite soothed by your words then. So I'm sure people listening will too. I hope so. You'll have to cut it out otherwise. <laughs> I'll see how it goes in the first few days. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Quick, edit, edit. Can we actually take that whole bit? No, just kidding. I, I'm not I'm not someone who censors my podcast. I think people, you know, if we feel triggered by things, then that's also something we need to examine. Um, yeah and see what yeah, we're being called to think yeah and i'm not being disrespectful to any individual at all it's just it's it, it's just my truth it's the truth it's the truth for me and you it, i love sharing the truth with you because you you you, you you're in that place mm. and it, yeah i agree it's not a judgment of any one person it's of an examination of how fear shows up in our lives and the many different guises it has and uh, that's something we can always all work on Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, we we took a big tangent there. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was a big one. I, I, I'm known for tangents, but that was quite large. Um, so you moved from Nat Geo to The Guardian uh, and then to Independence in publishing. Um, do you, you still publish something now though, don't you? Actually, we've always been, since, since the Nat Geo, we've, yeah. we've, been, we've been completely independent. So gotcha. we, we have a okay. venture. I didn't realize. Yeah, we have a venture yeah. with a guardian, but it's still we still have a we've always had our independence. We could have we were invited to go down the road of having a joint venture branding um, magazine, uh, but there were just I'm so glad we didn't do it because commercially it would have probably been a wiser thing to do, but it would have meant that we wouldn't have been able to operate in, with the freedom that we operate in um, now. Which is so and some, important. Yeah, it is. It is. Mm, I agree because Guardian, sometimes you end up, especially in that advertorial space for, um, uh, you know, environmentally friendly brands, there are a lot of pretend environmentally friendly things going on and then you find yourself having to meet targets because you've got shareholders and, and then you have to say yes to that person. And, um, yeah, I, I totally understand why you made that decision. Yeah, it's exactly that. And, we're, you know, we've had a... There's been the Guardian's changed a lot over the years that we've been with them. You know, we've been with them for 12 years now. It's a long time. And, you know, we do get the occasional, uh, you know, piece of journalism that comes back to us. And, you know, you can't talk about CBD oil because of the health issues around the pandemic. And you can't talk about, you, you know, we can't talk about, um, I don't know, it might be something that's a bit jokey about McDonald's and the way they operate or Coca-Cola or, you know, somebody like that. And then, you know, we, it might be just an image or a piece of artwork or something like that. And then we, you know, they come back to us and say, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't use this. I'm like, well, why? It's art. Well, we don't want to upset our advertisers. And I'm like, that's interesting because, you know, the Guardian, uh, you know, as, as, as brilliant as they are, they're still, they still have to, you know, appease the commercial revenue stream of those big brands. Yeah, it is tragic, absolutely tragic. So um, it's not happened often, 
but it does happen. So uh, I'm really, really glad we retained our independence because could you imagine if uh, we hadn't? <laughs> you find we've yourself with a Macazad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And oh we've always goodness. been quite radical in our in our you know in our content. We are, we've always been quite. We we used to call it every issue a revolution. It was like you know the consumer revolution, the you know the energy revolution, the tech revolution. It was all revolution, revolution, revolution. We've had our revolutions now, so we're we're a bit more love and peace these days. <laughs> <laughs> peace, love, and mung beans, baby. I love yeah. it. Um, and so, where did where did retail come into the picture? When did you think you might want to? Um, actually start a retail business well um it's a i mean it's been very recent actually um we've always been a, an ethical lifestyle media company that uses the way people spend their money as the entry point so i.e we all use products on a day-to-day -day basis whether it's the toothpaste that we use every day or the food in the fridge or the clothes that we wear or the garments or whatever you know household goods cleaning products the whole thing so what we've done is we've always gone out and found the best products that we can find because nothing's perfect and per perfection is not buying anything and growing your own organic food at home that's perfection right so we've always gone out and found the next best thing so the best products that we can find and showcase them as what we call hero products so our whole magazine has been on lifestyle issues, finding the, the most sustainable versions of lifestyle products and getting them in front of our audience. So it was a natural progression for us that when we started to see, you know, the likes of Amazon, and I will call them out, the likes of Amazon selling um, all kinds of stuff that contributes to deforestation and fossil mm -hmm. fuel industry, badly packaged. Need calling out. They do need calling out badly packaged stuff, you know, no consideration for the way it's transported, you know, probably 25, 30, 40, 50 miles more than it should be just to get to the person's doorstep. I mean, all of that is ridiculous and completely mm. dysfunctional. Well, and let's not mention the fact that their workers aren't ethically treated. Yes, yes, mm. exactly. It's a and huge piece them. of true um, good business. Yeah, of course it is. And, and they don't pay their taxes in, in countries that they don't have to. And so no one can compete with that, because if you're not paying your tax, then you're already getting 20 percent less um, off your products. Of course, you can undercut everybody else. So it's morally wrong. It's globally morally wrong. So I just thought, right, well, my first 10 years objective was to make the climate change issue mainstream in the media. So I achieved that. I'm not saying I single-handedly achieved it, but I tell you what, we played a whopping great big part of it in the UK. We, we were talking about stuff way before any mainstream national newspaper, TV channel, the whole thing. And we were mainstream. We had a huge audience. And so um, my next 10 years mission now is to, is to create an ethical alternative to Amazon with true values so that everybody that's part of our ecosystem, the vendors, the customers, the partners, they all are committed to buying into the ecosystem that is going to help restore our planet, which should hopefully push everybody that's not in the ecosystem out of business. That's my game plan. Mm, I love it. The eco Amazon, a, a big, bold goal. Nothing wrong with one of those. Um, <laughs> no. and, and I don't want to laugh about it because I know you're dead serious. So, I'm completely um, serious. Yeah, completely. yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the, the insinuation, if you giggle about something like that is, oh, you know, but like that won't really happen, but go you. But, you know, that's not what I mean at all. I'm just well, thank you. No, excited. I mean, it is, very much a, it is very much a David and Goliath story. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, but you know, because I have, you know, the, the best team on the planet, which is nature, all of nature's, all of nature's, you know, beings, it's like, how can, how can it fail? I mean, I've got like, you know, the best PR team, you know, the best, <laughs> the best marketing team, you know, because nature's on our side, yeah. right? Yeah, she sure is. <laughs> as wacky as that sounds. No, but it's true. It's true. It's true. And if she it's does true. better, everyone kind of starts to see that and we start to fall in line with the companies that are honouring that. I mean, people often ask me, why do you always just mention the same small amount of brands? And I'm like, well, it's because there's the same very small amount of people who are not just buying organic ingredients on the open market and whacking them in a tube and um, selling an organic face cream, but pioneering and moving beyond that and helping build ecosystems and economies and, uh, you know, fairly treating workers and regenerating land and teaching farmers in developing countries how to regenerate their land. And, um, and that is what I want to buy into. That's where I want to give my dollars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The same here. And so there isn't really anybody, certainly in the UK uh, yet, there isn't really anybody that's offering those solutions all in one place apart from us. And so, um, you know, it's just a natural progression to, to go into actually, you know, providing the products that people can buy them for us. I mean, we don't hold stock. We don't, you know, we're not, we're not at that fulfillment place at all. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to come up with quite ingenious ways to get a product to somebody um, that they can buy much more locally. So I don't want to give too much away because it's quite a unique selling point that we've got. But essentially, if you go to buy a deodorant and it, you know, it comes from 150 miles away, our platform will recommend one that's actually just around the corner from you. So exactly. So you're immediately dealing with that, that kind of you know, big issue, which is the carbon footprint of the transport. And we embed restoration into every transaction. So every time you shop with us, we will plant a tree in the tropics with our charity partner, Tree Sisters. Imagine if Amazon did that from the beginning, that we wouldn't have climate crisis. I know, I know. It's something like 0.4 of a percent more of carbon sequestration uh, over the next 10 years would reverse climate change. So that's literally plants, trees, insects, animals, shrubs, vines, bacteria, fungi. And that's, you know, that's exciting because we can all play a much more active part in that. I mean, we've all marched the streets for long enough now to know that oil and gas don't really do what we want them to do ultimately. So we have to work where our power is. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not and that, saying we I stop that advocacy work. I'm just saying there's something right in front of us that we can all play a much more active role in and achieve incredible returns for the planet with. Absolutely. I, 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 I'm going to vote for you to be the next global <laughs> prime minister or Thanks, president. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, so um, now I'm dreaming of being a global prime minister. Okay, what that <laughs> might look like. Um, so I want to ask you, because climate change is... Um, Again, it has become politicised. There are big arguments all the time. 
Uh, and finding out overlaps is going to really um, turbocharge the change rather than continuing to argue and staying paralysed within these arguments. How do you, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing and do you have frustrations about how slow we are? Do you, um, or do you feel peace because you're doing something impactful yourself? How does it play out for you personally? Oh, oh it's a pendulum. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I do, I do. That's swing such a good from, word from for birth. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the problem, the big problem for me is, is that I can see how, like you, I can see how we can fix this problem very quickly. It's getting, it's annoying because you've got these big corporate companies. I mean, I get emails all the time from them, you know, and they send me this amazing stuff that they're doing and how it's going to, you know, really, really tick the the agenda for climate change by 2050 or 2030 or, you know, some ridiculous time ahead. I'm like, why the fuck are you not doing this today now? You know, you have the power, you have the money, you have the customer base. There's no excuse what the hell are you doing? So that that is that I find really really annoying. So what I tend to do is, and I you know classic example, I'll get an email from a big company telling me how brilliant they are, and I'll just jot them back a, a one or two lines saying, "Why are you not doing this in the first place? What about dot 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 your contribution to I don't know feeding? Yeah, I had one from a meat company, a big mm. big it was Burger King actually to, mm-hmm. to name and shame." <laughs> telling me how sustainable they were uh-huh, and, yeah. I, and they had all these things but what they'd missed out was the bit the part where they're cutting down the amazon rainforest to grow soya to feed the cattle yeah which is killing our which is killing our planet right yeah i forgot yeah. to mention that bit yeah of course so i'm like conveniently left out the factory yeah, farming element I get emails like that probably nearly every day. So sometimes I can be bothered to to respond and other times I just get really annoyed and cross. Um but thankfully I have my daily practice and my, you know, my my meditation and my yoga, which brings me back to equilibrium every morning <laughs> and I'm ready to start again. Yeah. Yeah. And we need that. You know, if you feel deeply about any issue and you're doing work in that space, you need to fill up your cup. So I'm really yeah. glad you mentioned that because it's hugely important. Yeah, it is. It's I could I, I would be, um, I mean, I would be an absolute stress victim probably sick as a if I didn't have those practices I'm very lucky and very gifted I've got a beautiful family amazing kids the most amazing network of businesses that I connect with every day I mean they all do all the businesses we work with they all do business with heart they're incredible such brilliant stories and you know we vet everybody before they come on our platform we meet the people like I'm having a conversation with you you get to know very quickly whether people are in it for the green rush, whether they're in it because they really want to change oh, things. That is, that is exactly my thought as well. The green rush versus real change. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, and it, it's pretty obvious, pretty fast. Uh, it is. Yeah, and that's very- that's what keeps that's what keeps me on track. So when I get those moments of, and they're much less. I used to be really passionate and get really angry and write really shitty tweets or, or LinkedIn messages or whatever it might be because I was so cross. I've got much better at crafting that now because I feel supported. You know, when, when we first started doing what we were doing, very few people were doing what we were Very few people even cared. And yeah. now everybody does. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's, it's true, right? And I mean, what I love as well is just when you surround yourself with businesses who are doing, um, giving more back to the planet than they took um, to create what they produce. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, how could you not want to shout from the rooftops about what they're doing, right? It's, it's yeah, exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, isn't that such a simple equation? Mm. Would we take from anybody else in our, in our immediate, you know, uh, network, community, Mm. without without offering some kind of giving back we wouldn't would we no yeah, why do we do why do we do that with nature when that I have is the... no idea <laughs> I actually did a post the other day on Instagram and I said I just kind of I always try to to help people kind of have their aha moment as to why we should yeah. give a shit you know and yeah yeah it was what does taking more money out of your savings account than you have look like it looks like debt what does stopping feeding your pet every day look like it looks like death what does not drinking water every day looks like look like you know that looks like death so why are we taking more than the planet can regenerate on her own that looks like death and uh and we are literally riddling our children's savings account with debt right now and death and uh and it's not to be gruesome and horrible about it but it's you know, we need to have these moments where we go, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense, of course, because not everyone's there yet and we're getting there, but got to get a few more people on board. Yeah, and you've, you've put that beautifully. It's, it's, it, I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal that, but, but, but obviously honour you in the stealing because it's really, really well put. I, I use a slightly different example. Um, which is, you know, how have we lost our connection with nature, which we, we've just discussed, but when everything that we eat, wear, driving, traveling, living, all comes from her, yet we've completely lost our connection with it. I, I, I think, I do believe now, it's becoming much clearer to me that if we were, if we were simply able to live in gratitude, every time we brushed our teeth, every time we put on a pair of socks, we eat a bit of toast, you know, we watch a bit of TV, just honour, honour the, 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 the parts that nature has given us for us to be able to have that material thing or that, that organic produce, whatever it might be. I think just by, the, just by that statement of inclusion, if we were doing that en masse, I, I do believe we would see radical transformation. Nature would feel included she would probably want to begin to trust and collaborate and co-create with us again. And, 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 and that in itself would cause absolute miracles and shift this paradigm. But we've got to get there and we've got to use our communication strategies like this to inform and awaken more people, just to remember that very simple quality of gratitude. I love that. Gratitude is is truly one of the most, oh, you know, I didn't make time for my gratitude journal today. Whoops. But, you know, we don't have to make time and sit down and pull out a piece of paper. Just feel the moment. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the Indigenous cultures do. You know, I've lived with loads of different types of Indigenous cultures um, in Mexico and the, the South Americans, the Peruvians in India, you know, Hawaii, and they all praise when, they, when they're about to eat or have a glass of water or whatever it might be, they always give to nature first. They always give a prayer first. Yeah. 
And we, we tried to do that with religions, you know, uh, saying grace and being thankful. Um, but then, of course, a lot of um, Anglo-Saxon cultures have moved away from rites of passage and, and traditions connected to religion. Um, but then we haven't replaced that with a connection to anything else with nature. Uh, and uh, th that's a real invitation as well. I want to ask you... Um, a couple of things to finish. I do want to just quickly ask you about the awards that you guys have created because that's an exciting thing coming up and I definitely want to make sure it's on people's radar. Um, tell, tell us about what you've you've cooked up this time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the awards are in their 11th year. So, I mean, it's just evolved and evolved. So, so our awards is the People Environment Achievement Awards and we call it P for short, P-E-A Awards. So if anybody wants to find it. Um, gosh, what we do and what I saw back in the day was um, a lot of awards were based on the biggest marketing budgets or the, the, the brands or the businesses that had the most money would always win them. And I just thought this is just an absolute delusion or false. You know, so it's, it's a lie, basically. <laughs> and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to create an awards that really honored the real people doing real stuff when it came to sustainability. And back in the day, we launched our awards in 2009. Um, and, you know, there were these people that were, for example, a secretary that worked for a big hotel chain that started to moonlight it within her own environment so that she could bring sustainability into the, onto the agenda because there wasn't a job there. She wasn't being paid for it, but she just took it upon herself to create more sustainability within this huge hotel chain's environment. Now, that is an absolute champion. She had the CEO's ear because she was the secretary of the CEO. She took it upon herself to do the research, find the materials. It was sort of a refurb, actually, for one of the big, biggest hotels in London. And, and I thought, oh, my God, you are just a, a miraculous person. So she, she really inspired me to create, create the awards in the way that we did. So it was really to honour individuals and teams, the real people, behind the changes that are being made within within business within community within yeah we've we've now got an award which is um searching for the greenest family oh wow it, cool i mean it, it's a conundrum in itself because if you're truly really green you probably live off grid you don't really watch any tv and you wouldn't <laughs> no you wouldn't one connects on to you anyway yeah <laughs> So if you know but, anybody that's living off grid, get please enter them. <laughs> but I would also say, I think, um, like, can I suggest an award? I'm going to suggest one because I deal with this every day. So many people know my values, you know, teach low-tops living, food, body, home, mind. Why don't you live in the country, Alex? Why don't you move to somewhere you can be more connected to nature? And I, besides being a music file and needing to be able to go to gigs and plays and um, having that intense connection to the arts. Um, since I was a tiny person, I love cities for that, obviously. Um, and I choose a coastal city so that I can feel really connected to um, the nature by just simply being at the beach, which I adore. But I honestly think that we are going to create really big change if we can unite um, city and regional people together in the quest to do it however it is where they are better. And, uh, you know, because in the city there are so many amazing things and I think 
um, you know, to plug into local like rooftop beehives and community gardens and so many more things we could also be giving our energy to in the city. So what about greenest family in the city? Yeah, I like it. I like mm. it. Well, I, I think it's brilliant. and As and actually, well as like I'm, an overall, but like, because yeah. it's not entirely easy to do in the city. You really need to carve out a lot of, um, you know, little pieces to, to put them together and truly be green in the yeah. city. Mm. No, I love it. I love it. I mean, our, our Britain's, uh, sorry, it used to be Britain's greenest and now it's international. So now it's a global greenest family. So I, I suggest that you, um, we, we use that and we'll, we'll we'll ask. I mean, it's a really good storyline. We're looking for the greenest family in the city, which is which is which is just brilliant. Because you're right, we've evolved so much in the time that we've been doing our awards that you forget how how you know just how how many changes are going on in cities and you know in in really dense communities. I mean, I lived in Mumbai when we first set up our, our reincarnation of the business when Katie and I went into business together. Um, we lived in Mumbai and we lived right near Dharavi, which is, you know, the slums, that's slum dog millionaire. I mean, not literally right near, we were in a nice part, but it was very close. And, but, but actually, you know, you'd go there and you'd, you'd speak to some of the people that lived there and they, you know, they, they had this just most amazing system that every, every bit of waste was used and every, every, everything was resourced and reused and incredible entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, they didn't want to move out of this slum city that they'd created because it was so functional. And you're absolutely right. It's, you know, there's huge opportunity from learning from those types of communities that, you know, they've had to do it in the way that they've had to do it in order to survive, right? But actually, the system is just sublime in its in its spirit and in, in its functionality, and we've kind of we, we, we've lost that, haven't we? With our, you, you know, we all live like kings and queens in the West. You know, we've got everything that we could possibly want. We're, you know, it's 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 kind of ridiculous, really, how far the other way we've gone. Mm. And a couple of oh, about a year and a half ago, I had our, one of our top scientists in Australia in the green um, science space, Vina Sajwala. I don't know if you know her, but um, no, but great name. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's amazing. I mean, this woman is a powerhouse of a human being. And she had her earliest part of her life in Mumbai um, and was always fascinating by the resourcefulness and the, the seemingly rubbish uh, was turned into things and sold and had value and yeah, was a resource. Everything. And so exactly. she has then gone on to become one of the country's top engineers and has found a way to use old rubber tyres to produce what she has developed with her team as green steel or old plastics to be used as 3D filaments. Um, wow. for 3D printing, incredible stuff. She's just nuts. Yeah. She'd be a great one wow. for you guys to cover and write about, actually. I'll make oh, the connection. Mm. Please do. She sounds amazing. And especially yeah. that I absolutely get the 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 inspiration that she got from Mumbai because it's it's so true. Everything is, is reused and, and re resourced. Mm. And so how do I have a last question for such an epic conversation? I'm trying to figure <laughs> that out. Um, oh, do we have to finish? Oh. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to ask this. If you were to recommend someone who has struggled with 
reconnecting to nature in a way that it puts a fire in their belly to change something, do something. What would the next few days of awareness raising look like for a person on such an endeavour in your eyes? What would you recommend they do? Wow. Um, I mean, the most simplest answer is to get out and reconnect with nature because um, we, I think we forget how, um, how it shifts our levels of anxiety or stress or whatever we might be feeling, how very quickly nature can shift that just by, just by it existing in the way that it exists. So that's step one, but then you can take it a step further. You can begin to you know, walk through a woods or in the park or whatever, and just begin to deepen that connection in the way that you interact with, with your experience of nature. So rather than kind of observing it, you kind of drop more deeply into the spirit of it. So you might start to communicate with a tree or a flower or a bird, or you might just stop and move at half the pace that you would normally move at so that you can experience yourself perhaps more connected to a natural rhythm of nature rather than this insane rhythm that we have as human beings. And then if you want to take it even further, and this is going to sound even more wacky, is do, maybe do a headstand and allow your head to communicate with the earth instead of your feet. Mm, I love it. Ah, oh, so good. Um, and so important. Something that just stuck out for me there, you said this insane rhythm that we humans are in. And it just then becomes so obvious why we've lost our way economically, why we've lost our way in health, because we are literally operating at a rhythm that is artificial. It is not of nature and yet we are. And yeah, I mean, it yeah. just, it just makes it so darn obvious. Thank you, Jarvis. Yeah, it's epic. an absolute pleasure. It has been epic. And I'll tell you what, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I'd completely forgotten we were recording for anything. It was just like <laughs> chatting with a, with a friend. I know, I was really upset I couldn't make myself a second cup of tea. <laughs> I was like, this is like a, you know, let's nestle in and go for another hour. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's been wonderful. brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Great, great questions. You've got such a lovely spirit. You're a lovely, beautiful human being. So oh, thank thanks. you. So are you. And I look forward to a time in the world when we can hang out together and have a cup of tea in person again. Yay. Mm. I've been to Australia a few times and I'd love to come back again. Oh, brilliant. Well, when you do, look us up. I will. Where are you? Which part? I am in Sydney. In Sydney. Great. I've been to Sydney. Love it. So count, count me out. We'll have that cup of tea together in Sydney one day. Sounds like a plan, Jarvis. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at lowtoxlife or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, 
about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.